0: Now Saul consented to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. For there was a certain man called Simon who previously practised sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptised. <coughs> then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptised, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done." <coughs> Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus When they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans.
1: Hi, good morning. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, many people who witnessed the murder of Stephen in the early days of the church felt that it was the worst day of their lives. Stephen had been one of the most popular and effective men in the early church. He was godly to the call and filled with grace and love and the ability to do signs and wonders as he prayed in the name of Jesus. Stephen was one of a kind and many people look up to him. But a flash of violence erupted at a key intersection for the church. The unbelievable became a reality without warning. Stephen was arrested, charged, and executed. In Acts chapter 8, we are told that a terrible wave of persecution suddenly swept through the whole region championed by a man called Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul. The persecution carried many Christians across borderlines from Judea to Samaria, and those who were being persecuted brought with them the gospel message of Christ and his salvation to the Samaritans. Among those who were scattered In that great persecution was a man called Philip, who had been one of the seven together with Stephen, chosen to serve the church kitchen and food distribution duty. He ended up among the many who fled to Samaria. Verse 3 tells us that God used Saul of Tarsus even before he became a Christian to accomplish his plan of evangelization. You can picture yang Saul so enraged over what he regarded as a heresy, trying to stem it out with all the energy of his flesh, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prisons. Yet God uses this as an instrument to accomplish his purpose. He does two things with his rage, uh, this rage of Saul. First, he forces the church out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria to fulfill the divine program as Jesus had outlined in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Jerusalem, is Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Second, he makes the early church depend not upon the apostles, but upon the gifts of the Spirit distributed to everyone. For those who were scattered abroad were not the apostles. Luke is careful to tell us that. These were ordinary Christians like you and me, and yet they had gifts of the Spirit, but they would never have discovered their gifts if they had not been pushed out and work, put to work. So God used this pressure to place them in circumstances where they began to develop the gifts of evangelism, of witnessing, of help, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, prophecy, and all other gifts of the Spirit that have been made available to them. Verse 4. Before we move on to the next section, a brief remark on verse 1. What does it mean by all except the apostle who is scattered? If the entire church was scattered, why would the apostles hang around? After all, they have been tasked to feed and lead the sheep. So some believe that the persecution described in Acts chapter 8 was in fact probably orchestrated by the Hellenistic Jews and was aimed primarily at the Hellenistic element within the church. Now let's move on to the next section, verses 5 to 8, Philip in Samaria. Verse 5 tells us, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. There were signs and wonders that accompanied Philip's preaching. Verse 7 says, For with streets, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. These physical miracles were a demonstration of God's power to heal, both physically and spiritually. Wherever the gospel goes, it gives liberty, in verse 8, say, So there was a, a great joy in that city. You see, when people are set free, it always fills them with joy. As people are filled with joy by the power of the word, they begin to change for the better. Simon the Sorcerer, verses 9 to 13. In this section, Luke deliberately contrasts the marks of authentic Christianity with those of a false and counterfeit faith. Simon the Magician appears in this account as another manifestation of the attack of the devil against the church from within. Simon the Sorcerer was famous in the region of Samaria. He was a sorcerer who was able to amaze the people. Because he could amaze them, he could also manipulate them. Verse 10 says, all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and acclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. He had this region under his power of his evil tongue until the arrival of Philip. When Philip came preaching Christ, Simon was no match. His master had been defeated by Jesus, and now Simon was feeling the burns of this. Multitudes of those who had been following Simon were converted and followed the Saviour. Philip's spirit-empowered works make Simon's look like cheap magical tricks. I suppose Simon thought, if you can't beat them, join them. Thus, verse 13 tells us, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. The one who had so amazed the people was now amazed himself. Unfortunately, it would seem that Simon was not amazed by grace. While the New Testament language does not always distinguish between believing and professing. To believe. The next section, verses 14 to 25, makes it clear that Simon's profession was false. Now move on to the next section, Peter and John in Samaria. Now word reached Jer- Jerusalem that Samaria had not only heard but in fact received the gospel. Converts had been baptized and a church had been plundered. In fact, the most famous or perhaps the most infamous man in the town had joined them. Upon hearing about these things, the church sent Peter and John to Samaria to validate the reports. When they arrived, they noted, I don't know how, that Although the Samaritans had received the gospel, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so the apostle laid their hands on the Samaritans, and as they prayed for them, the Holy Spirit manifestly came upon them. Let's pause to consider the valid question as to why the Holy Spirit and not yet come on these believers in Samaria. Well, then what had happened to them? They had believed, they had been baptized. What had happened? Can a person become a Christian without the Holy Spirit? We must be very careful in reading this to see exactly what they had and what they did not have. They did have power, manifest in their midst was an operation of the Holy Spirit in power to set them free from all illness and depression that have been besetting them. And they had joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And this kind of joy can never be produced except by the indwelling Spirit. Power. Is an outward sign. Joy is inward. They were demonstrating the presence of the Holy Spirit in their their lives, both outwardly and inwardly. They had the Holy Spirit. They were regenerated. They had been baptized in water as a testimony to that very regeneration which had occurred within their hearts, and which manifested itself in the joy that was there. So, we would be making a great mistake if we said that the Holy Spirit was not yet in Samaria. He was. But what the account specifically says is that the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. 16. You see, there are various terms for the ministry of the Holy Spirit used in the scripture. The Holy Spirit does a great uh, vir- variety of different things, and he is behind all of them. This account makes clear that they had not yet received a certain manifestation of the Spirit. What was it? They had not yet been baptized by the Spirit into the one body. We can cross-reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. They were still separate, individual, regenerated Christians, just as the apostles themselves had been before the day of Pentecost. The apostles had been born again. They had been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. However, he did on the day of Pentecost. And the apostles were then baptized into a body and made members of one another, members of one body in Jesus Christ they also received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What the Christians in Samaria had not yet received was this baptism into the one body and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John came down, they first prayed for the church. They then laid hands on them and the Samaritans. To receive the baptism of the Spirit, making them one body in Jesus Christ, they was received. They also received the gifts of the Spirit, among which was possibly the gift of tongues. It was probably by that sign that Simon and the others recognized that the Holy Spirit have been given to them. This is what the Spirit of God is doing here. The Church of the Samaritan could have easily been developed apart from the Church of the Jews. If the Holy Spirit had come upon the Samaritan disciples when they first believed in Jesus, God probably sovereignly withheld the Spirit for the purpose of building unity between the Samaritan and Jewish believers. As you well know, there was already a wall of partition, dividing the Jews from the Samaritan existing at that time. The Jews had no dealing with the Samaritan, nor did the Samaritans with the Jews. Had the Spirit of God come upon this church when Philip first went there, it could easily have produced two separate churches. But by tying it all together with these apostles who came down from Jerusalem, the Spirit of God was saying, there is one body, not two. There are no great distinctions in the church. There is only one church. And that's all. The Samaritan belong to it equally as much as the Jews. There seems to be a pattern in this progressive unity. As we see it in Acts chapter 10 and again in Acts chapter 19. As the kingdom of God advanced in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost, the same gospel did the same work and the same spirit dwelt in those who share this same experience of the gospel. It was important that an apostolic connection be made at this stage of the progress and development of the church. This whole episode would serve to be a great encouragement to an increasingly suffering church back in Jerusalem. The eyewitness accounts of the apostles would be a great blessing to the church there. In verses 18 and 19, Simon saw that whoever Peter and John had laid hands upon had received the Holy Spirit. Instead of coming forward to receive the Spirit, he offered them money. He was amazed at the sign and not the reality of the event. He thought it was some sort of amazing magic trick What we previously learned about Simon, the sorcerer, is important. He loved power. He wanted to be seen as the Great One. It was about him. He did not see that he needed to humble himself and receive the gospel, but he saw this as the means to even greater power. This was a trick he could not do. The apostle would soon leave and he could resume his status as the one everyone held to. Simon had no idea that the Spirit was a gift of God. It was not a magic trick to be purchased. Had he actually experienced the Spirit, he would have known better. His offer received an immediate Rebuilt from Peter. Peter told him that he had no part in Christ and he called him to repent of his grievous sin so that he might be forgiven. Verse 22. He could have been struck dead on the spot, yet he is of opportunity to repent. Simon saw that instead of great joy, there was great bitterness, and he was unchanged in wickedness. Verse twenty-three. This showed that Simon the sorcerer was no Christian at all. Verse twenty-four records Simon asking Peter to pray for him, so that nothing you have said may happen to him. He did not cry out personally to God for forgiveness. And it would seem that he was remorseful rather than repentant. Verse 25 says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now the second part of Acts chapter one verse eight had happened. Jerusalem had been evangelized to, and now even Judea and Samaria. The work of God would now start to spread to the uttermost part of the earth, praise the Lord. Now move on to the next section, Philip and the Ethiopians, verses 26 to 40. Philip had just concluded his mission to Samaria. God then sent an angel to give Philip his next marching orders. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, in verse 26, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way. Philip obeys the orders. What Philip didn't know is that there was someone God had prepared for him to meet. Verse 27 says there was an Ethiopian unit, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kendake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The Ethiopia of the of New Testament times was different from modern day Ethiopia. Well, we can see from the map, it was on the Nile River in the region of modern day Sudan. In the Old Testament time, the region was known as Kush. Ethiopians considered it beneath the king to involve himself in day-to-day administration. So the queen became the de facto ruler. Kandake was not a proper name, but was a title, much like the title, Pharaoh. We are now introduced to someone not from Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. Very interesting, yeah. But from the ends of the earth, In fact, it was common back then to think of Ethiopia, which was all of Africa, south of Egypt, as the literal end of the earth. If Philip had not started out by taking that first step, he would never have met this man who was spiritually searching. He had traveled over, 200 miles or more than 300 kilometers to get to Jerusalem and was now on his way home. Don't mean this. God loves to position us to speak with the people he has prepared. Eunice with no honor in Israel where they were denied admission into the assembly of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 1. Levitical law denied anyone who had a blemish the right to give offerings to God, units being among those specified. In Leviticus, chapter 21, verses 17 to 20. Since the Jewish law specifically denied their rights to eunuchs. This man is therefore not likely to be apostolate. He is probably a God-fearer, one of those who fear God, not apostolate, one who is not circumcised. So he was not one who could enjoy full membership in the Jewish community, but one who nevertheless worships the Jewish God. God-fearers would be granted access to the court of the Gentiles, but denied access to the rest of the temple. Verse 28, he was on his way, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot, And stay near it. An angel prompted Philip to go through this road, but now the Spirit took over the leadership, directing Philip's action as needed. And verse 30 Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. The fact that Philip heard him reading suggests that the eunuch was reading aloud. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. The fact that this unit is reading from the book of Isaiah gave Philip a wonderful opening, an opportunity fashioned by the work of the Spirit. But Philip doesn't barge in and impose himself on the units. He asks a question that gave the unit a chance to ask for help if he needed it. How can I, unless someone explain it to me? Isaiah is not an easy book to understand. And this unit was raised far from the Jewish homeland. It is no wonder that he needed help to understand it. The study one continues. So he invited Philip to come on and sit with him. By asking a question that prompted this invitation, Philip made himself an invited guest rather than an unwelcome intruder. The passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading was Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? himself, or someone else, verse 34. Verse 35, then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Then they came to a body of water, verse 36, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? The unit had been prevented from participating, participation in sacred rituals, including hostalite baptism because of his castration. So his question might be reflecting not only a desire to be baptized, but also a concern that he might once again be denied the opportunity to participate. Luke doesn't tell us what Philip said to the eunuchs, but we can infer from the eunuchs and respond that Philip told him about Christian baptism. It's significance, and the eunuchs need for baptism. So the eunuchs gave order to stop the chariot. Both of them went down into the water and Philip baptized him, verse 38. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuchs did not see him again. Verse 39. The eunuchs went on his way rejoicing. Praise the Lord. For a man so long denied full membership in his faith community, his baptism would indeed be cause for great joy. The Spirit took Philip the Sotus. Luke tells us that Philip traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Verse 14. Now what can we learn from Acts chapter 8? I've summarized them into two points. First, Simon, the sorcerer. Throughout history, the church has always faced the problem of false professions of faith. Where Christ saves sheep, the devil sends goats. Where Christ sows wheat, the devil sows tares. Wherever there are genuine conversions, there are also counterfeits, such as church life, but this should not deter us from the proclaiming the gospel and from offering a judgment of charity towards those who seem to be the real deal. At the same time, we need to beware of the enemy's strategies to infiltrate the church and we must speak straight when they are detected. Realize that there are many motifs that may drive someone to identify himself as a believer. Don't assume too much. Those who are the real deal feel the weight of their guilt. They sorrow with genuine dependence. The true believer looks at what he can give to the Lord more than what he can receive from him. So, examine yourself. Why are you following Christ? Simon was not really interested in bringing the Holy Spirit to others, he was interested in the power and the prestige it will bring to himself. Second, the Holy Spirit. Luke is very careful to point out to us the identity of the catalyst that is igniting all the mission work, the miracles, the anointings, and the healings. The Holy Spirit is the one who is working through Philip the Samaritans, and these Ethiopian units. The truth of the matter is that everything is working because of the Holy Spirit. Everything is in the early church, began and ended with the Holy Spirit. We live in a time where it is extremely tempting for us to rely on some human being rather than kneeling down and surrendering everything to the will and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are more tempted to pick up a popular book, attend a conference, or listen to someone speak about all the great things that they have done. We are more tempted to think that they have all the answers. We need then for us to go back the main source, the Holy Spirit. However, Luke wanted everyone to know the truth about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That is one of the main reasons. As you read the book of Acts, you see him reporting on the acts of the Holy Spirit. Notes, not acts of the church or certain individual, but acts of the Holy Spirit in and through people and churches. It is his his desire that we understand that everything begins and ends with the Holy Spirit. This morning, the same Holy Spirit is still at work in our world today the holy spirit seeks to be at work <coughs> excuse me the holy spirit seeks to be at work in our churches in our homes and in our lives we will guide us he will guide us sorry he will guide us and orchestrate ways for us to reach out to others to help bring them into the faith they may not like us. They may come from very different backgrounds, or they could even be from our own family or friends. The key is to allow the Holy Spirit to be in control of your life. This morning, as we close, how is it with you and the power? and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to cleanse you and infill your heart, mind, and soul? Have you surrendered yourself completely over to the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit? This morning, do we need the Holy Spirit in a new and refreshing way in our lives? Do we need to surrender to the will and way of the Holy Spirit? Would you like to lead people to Jesus and be a conduit of God's power and presence? Let's spend a moment of silence as we reflect on these few few questions and pray quietly to God individually. Amen. And God bless you.